0: twenty five and we're going to be looking at verses fourteen to thirty today. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Matthew twenty five, verses fourteen through thirty. Jesus speaking says this starting in verse 14, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents won and traded with them, and made another five talents. And likewise he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he had received five talents, came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. At my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he who have abundance, but, but from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The title of my message this morning is Redeeming the Time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love and the grace that you show each one of us here this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together to be in your word, knowing, Lord God, that you are here to speak to our hearts, individually, Lord, and corporately as a church. Lord, you have a word for each one of us today. We thank you for that. We pray, Father, also that as anyone that has joined us that does not have a personal relationship with your Son, Jesus Christ, or not born again, Lord, would you especially touch their heart today. We thank you for this time we committed to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a story about a man who went to see his doctor to get an annual checkup. And the uh, doctor does the whole checkup. And afterwards, comes out to him and says, Well, I'm afraid I have some very bad news to tell you, the doc says. And he says, You're dying. You don't have much time left. Oh, that's terrible, says the man. How much time do I have? Ten, the doctor says. Ten, the man asked. "Ten, Ten what? Ten months? Ten weeks? Ten what? Nine, eight, seven, six. You know, each day we have 24 hours. We have 1,440 minutes, about 86,400 seconds. That makes me 1,923,696,000 seconds old. But hey, I'm really only 6, 6.1 centuries old. But, you know, you think about this, you go, man, time goes by in such a blink. I mean, time is something we feel we never have enough of, yet we give it away so easily. Someone put it this way, time is free but it's priceless. You can't own it but you can use it. You can't keep it but you can spend it. And once you've lost it, you can never get it back. I think I've shared with you the story about the little boy who went to his grandmother's house and loved going there because in their living room they had one of those old tall grandfather's clock and, and he would love to see when it was noon that it would dong for twelve, you know, bombs, you know, on a you know rings on the, on the clock and so he's there and it starts again dong, 11, 12 it keeps going 13, 14, 15, 16 he runs into the kitchen where his grandmother is and says grandma, grandma it's later than it's ever been before listen I think that's an apt description of the times we're living in right now it's later than it's ever been before there's never been a generation closer to the return of Jesus Christ than this generation right now Paul puts it this way in Ephesians five sixteen that we're to redeem the time because the days are evil. I would say we need to redeem the time because the days are short. Jesus is coming soon. And knowing this, it should motivate us. Warren Wiersbe put it this way, for the Christian, heaven isn't simply a destination, it's a motivation. See, life is filled with opportunities. Every person has them. What we do with them is a the big question. Do we let them slip by by saying, well, maybe next time, another day, not today? Or do we take every opportunity to bring glory to God? I like what the psalmist says. He says in Psalm 90, verse 12, Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Well, that brings us to Matthew chapter 25. It's here we've been looking at really the longest answer to a question that was asked of Jesus by his disciples. Back in chapter 24, verse 3, his disciples asked Jesus, when would these things be? Three questions. What shall be the signs of your coming? Number three, of the end of the age, or the end of the world. The first question was in reference to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. What shall be the signs of your coming? Well, we looked at Jesus' answer with that, with that and, and, and the final question, the end of the age, and Jesus told them, answered all of their questions there in great detail. He gave them the information. But now we come to chapter 25, and the Lord wants to prepare them and us with what to do with that information. It's now time for the application in our lives. Knowing that time is short, as believers, what are we to be engaging in in light of His soon return? So Jesus answers that in chapter 25 with three powerful parables. The first one was the parable of the ten bridesmaids or virgins. We looked at that last week. The second is the parable of the talents. We'll look at this morning. And then the third is the separation of the sheep and the goats. Each parable by itself makes its own point. But taking them together, they intensify and even broaden Jesus' warnings here. See, instead of speaking to people who are, are obviously saved or lost, Jesus seems to be speaking of those who look like believers, who think they are believers, but will not be ready when he comes again. Because they weren't true believers. Now we need to know as the church that the Bible does teach in the last days there will be an apostate church. In other words, there will be people who say they're Christians and they have may even be those that regularly attend church, but they don't have a real relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that's the picture we have before us in this parable. But the underlying message of all three of these parables, is, is what are we doing in light of his soon return? Now there are a few things I want to point out in comparing these three parables. And that is number one, we see that the return of Jesus Christ is going to be uh, sudden and unexpected. The story of the wise and the foolish bridesmaids that we looked at last week. The cry went out, the women were asleep. The cry wakes them up and they, uh, and they arise immediately. And the parable, parable of the talents, as we'll see, the master returns after a long time in verse 19, when he was least expected. And then the parable of the sheep and the goats, or the story of the sheep and the goats, we'll look at next week when the decisive moment arrives for the son of man that comes back. The angels are with him. The goats are surprised that they are cut off. In other words, these three parables all come back to the issue of being ready because no man knows the day and the hour. Secondly, each parable in each case results in an unalterable division between two groups of people. See, these are stories about final judgment. And actually, that the root word for judgment is division. There's a division between those who are ready and those that are not. In case of the five bridesmaids, five go into the banquet and five are shut out. In case of the two servants, uh, the servants rather, two are commended, one is, is judged. In the case of the sheep and the goats, as we'll see, the sheep inherit the kingdom that has been prepared for them, the goats inherit eternal punishment. Now thirdly, which I think is really the most important, is that in each group of people that that were lost are totally shocked and surprised at their rejection. Let me repeat that the people who are lost, the people who are rejected and turned away, are totally shocked and surprised at their rejection. I think that's the most striking point out of all of them. The five bridesmaids were shut out of the banquet, can hardly believe that the door's been shut in their face, and they can't come in. They cry out, open the door for us, but it does not open. The wicked servant in the second parable actually thinks he's doing something right by bearing the talent that was given to him by his master. He expected to be praised instead of rebuked. And again, the final parable between the sheep and the goats, the goats don't understand the Lord's disapproval either. So it's very important, the moral of the story, the points of the parables is these. That these are people who think that they've been saved, but they really are not, because of that, they're not ready for the Lord's return. Now this parable this morning, the parable of the talents. If you're taking notes, we're going to see three things. Number one, our gifts. Number two, our responsibilities. Number three, our reward. Look at verse 14, point number one, Our gifts. Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Now I want to look at this parable in in light of its context first and understand it. Then we'll look at it from a practical standpoint. In the context, this man or this master or the Lord in this parable is Jesus Christ. And we read he immediately went on his journey, this is the time between Jesus' first coming and his return and his second coming. Now the question is, who are these servants that he entrusts these talents to? No, I believe that these servants represent Israel and the Jewish people living during the Great Tribulation period. Remember, the church is going to be taken out of here uh, in the rapture of the church, removed before that seven-year time period begins, a time known as Jacob's Trouble or the Great Tribulation, and God will once again deal with the people and the nation of Israel. Now, from a practical standpoint, this parable, even though I don't think it's written to the church, there is definitely application for the church. You see, we see that each servant was given at least one talent. Now, what are these talents? Well, you know, the talent was a weight of money, we read. Now, we don't really know how much it was because we don't know if it was a talent of gold or a talent of silver. I mean, it could be worth a million dollars. One talent could be a million bucks. Oh, the poor guy only got one talent. Well, he got a million bucks. I'll take a million bucks. A talent can also be representing the opportunity to serve Jesus Christ. That's why when you read verse 30... To cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, he'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a very clear description of hell. And clearly the third unprofitable servant was not saved. He didn't go to hell because he failed in the service. He went to hell because he failed in responding to the opportunity to be a servant of Jesus Christ. He failed in his faith, trusting and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus offers the gift of salvation. You have the choice of receiving it or, or rejecting it and God in our lifetime will give us many, many chances for that free gift of salvation. But God eventually said, listen, if you don't want it, you don't want to have a relationship with me, then I'm going to give you what you want for all eternity. So we see each person in this parable is given a different amount to invest. One was given five talents, one was given two, and one was given one. They were given opportunities, talents based upon their abilities. Verse 15 says, every man according to his ability. Now it's amazing that God gives us talents, opportunities in the first place. But the big question is, what are we doing with the things that God has given to us? You say, well, I, I know God is giving me this this gift and this opportunity. I just don't don't think I, I, I could do what what God said for me to do. Listen, I believe God gives us opportunities to match our abilities. That's what it says here. And that God's calling is God's enabling. Whatever God has called you to do, God will enable you to do it. I know that in myself, I know that I do not have the ability to do what God has called me to do. But I know by His grace, He's entrusted me and that any abilities that I have have been given to me by the grace of God in order to fulfill and to be faithful with the opportunities that He's given to me. But more than that, God also has instilled in the life of every believer who has been baptized in the Holy Spirit the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, what do I mean by the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, the Bible teaches that when you become a Christian, a believer, the Holy Spirit takes residence in you. Remember the parable of the five bridesmaids. They all had the oil, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the oil. Because without the Spirit, you're not a Christian. But then Jesus promises a dimension of power that we can experience so we can be a witness to Him to the uttermost parts of the earth. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the year. The idea here is that we've been given gifts, we've been given the power to be a witness, and with that power comes these gifts of the Holy Spirit. Tools to use. That means that God has placed in your life a gift or gifts in your life, certain tools to use to be that witness. Listen to the way Paul puts it in Romans 12, verse 6 to 8. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Our ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. See, we all have different gifts. Now you may look at someone and say, oh, you know, I, I wish I had their talent. Man, they, they, they could, man, they could play that guitar, or they could play that piano, or they could sing, or they could, man, they could design a house, or man, they could, I wish I had their ability. Hey listen, take what God has given you and use that the most you can for His glory. Because listen, God can do an awful lot with a little. And if you don't believe me, just ask the young lad, you know, with the with the, the loaves and the fishes. who was probably running an errand for his mom, and he comes across this multitude of people, and and you know you know the story. They they've been listening to Jesus, and and Jesus asks his disciples, "Hey, where can we get some food to feed all these people?" And the disciples are going, "I don't know. There, there's not enough money to buy food for all these people." And this young boy walks up, and the disciples say, "Well, here's this kid. He's got a, a few small loaves of bread and some fish, you know. But what are these among so many people?" But that little boy gave everything he had to Jesus. It didn't seem like a lot, but Jesus takes a little, blesses it, multiplies it beyond our wildest dreams. Listen, everything we have is from the grace of God anyway. And if God has given you five talents, you're going to be responsible for those five talents. If He's given you two, if He's given you one, we're responsible. And the key is, is faithfulness. It's not what you have, it's what you do with the gifts God has given to you. And the greatest ability is dependability, being faithful to what God has called us to do. Now again, these talents were like a measure of money, but it doesn't speak of only money. Definitely it would include money, because Jesus says where man's heart is there is his treasure also. And certainly the way we give says a lot about our real commitment to Christ. But talents could also include the gifts God has given you, your personal talents, your influence, your knowledge, your health, your strength. Your time, your reason, your your intellect, everything. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Peter's saying, use the gifts that God has given you to serve one another. So you want to take that gift or gifts and multiply them just like these two men did in our story. Paul would write to young Timothy in 2nd Timothy 1-6, therefore I will remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. I like that word stir there. It means to, to fan the flame. Maybe some of you guys were in Boy Scouts and you had to, you know, earning I think is your second class. Badge, you know, you, you had to go on a camp out, you had to start a fire, not with matches, you know, you had to use the flint and the straw and you had to get that going and then you couldn't use utensils to cook your food, you had to do your whole, everything was off, off the, the lay of the land and, and living off the land. And I remember trying to get that fire started for the first time and maybe you've done, to you get that spark going and, you know, you're trying to get it, and finally you get it going and, and finally then you get your food and all that and stuff. And I remember actually being cold and hungry that night. I don't think I got my badge that night, but, But you fan the flame. You get it going. The same way God has given us gifts and it's not fully developed. When when it's given to you, you have to use it. And the more you use it, the stronger it becomes. The better you become at using the gifts that God has given to you. But to fail to develop that gift or those gifts really is to quench the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible tells us to be aware of that. First Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Spirit. It's a specific sin against the Holy Spirit. Now remember, the Holy Spirit's a Him, not an It. He's a member of the Holy Trinity, and we can specifically commit sins against the Holy Spirit. The Bible warns about grieving the Holy Spirit, quenching the Spirit, lying to the Holy Spirit, resisting the Spirit. Even blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which is a sin only a non-believer can commit. But the point is, there are specific sins you can commit against the Spirit. And one of them is to quench Him. And the word quench means to extinguish something. So let's go back to the fire. Man, you got it going. It's warm. It's great. But then you take a bucket of water and you pour it on it. You, you put it out. You don't want that fire any longer. Maybe God's given you a gift in your life. And you say, well, I, I don't want to use that gift. Well, then you've extinguished it. You've quenched it. You you put it out. That's wrong. Because God has given each one of us gifts to be used for His glory. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, To each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And then he goes on in verses 11 through 13, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We've all been given certain gifts to benefit the body of Christ, but if we don't use them, it benefits no one. Now you may say, well, how do I know what gifts God has given to me? Well, I would say, just just look in your heart, and I believe that God did give you a burden in the right direction. For instance, you might see, you know, people as lost, and you find yourself very burdened for them. Maybe God's given you a gift of evangelism, to be an evangelist. Perhaps you see needs everywhere, and you want to do something about it. Maybe God's given you the gift of giving. Maybe you're a person of detail and you you like to work behind the scenes and maybe you have a a gift of help or maybe a gift of administration. Maybe you desire to see people grow in their knowledge of the Word. Maybe God has given you a gift of teaching. Maybe you like to encourage people in their walks with the Lord and and urge them on and and, and, and help them. Maybe you have the gift of exhortation. Maybe you like to take people into your home and and just bless them and and, feed them and hang out with them. Maybe you have the gift of hospitality. Maybe you love Krispy Kreme donuts. You have the gift of eating donuts. Oh, that's, okay. That wouldn't be a gift. Maybe a curse. I don't know. But you know, Sometimes people come to me and say, you know, I feel like I'm called by God. I say, well, called to do what? Well, you know, I think I'm called to be a teacher. But how do I know if I am? Where's my advice? Teach. I mean, start in the children's ministry. If you can hold the attention of a classroom of six-year-olds, you have something going on. You have a gift. You know, you may have that. Well, I think I'm called to be a leader. Well, then lead. See if anybody follows. See, here's the problem. Sometimes when we think of gifts of the Spirit, we think of a prophecy or or healings or miracles or or speaking in tongues or those type of things. But, But those are gifts, but so are helps and giving and working behind the scenes. They are all gifts of the Spirit. It's been said that these gifts are not toys to play with. They're tools to build with and weapons to fight with. This brings us to point number two, our responsibility. Let's look and see what these servants did with their talents, with their gifts. Look at verse 16. Then he who had received the five talents, one had traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. So they did something with the gifts, the talents they were given. Look now verse 19 and 20. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents besides them. The master is very pleased. Look at verse 21. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Notice in both situations there's this enthusiasm. Why? Because they loved their master. They wanted to please him. And I think when you love the Lord, you want to take what he has given to you and fan it into full flame for his glory. But this third servant, man, he's just pathetic. Look at verse 24. Then he had received the one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and won and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. First of all, we need to know that this was not a reason. This was an excuse. This was a a lie. This guy was lazy. And the master tells him so. Instead of loving his master like the other two, it's as though he resents his master. And even when the day of reckoning arrives, there's no sense of regret. There's no sense of, of sorrow over his lack of productivity. In fact, he's blaming his boss that he didn't do anything with the talents he was giving him. It's not my fault. you know. If I failed you, you would have blamed me for it anyway. So what's the use? Why? Well, because he had a faulty concept of who his master was. He saw his master as this unfair, hard man who was just too demanding. He had uh, no love for his master, just, just a fear. In the same way, we have people today who have a faulty view of God. And because of that, it permeates everything that they do. Oh, this, this God that you serve, he's, he's so unfair, He's so harsh, He's so demanding. He's, all these rules, all these regulations... It was A.W. who said, and I quote, Nothing twists and deforms the soul more than a low or unworthy conception of God. Many people in that same place today, they have a warped concept of who God is. And they're afraid to say, He's the Lord of my life. Here is my future. Here are my resources. Here's my time. It's now dedicated to your glory. Well, they would never say that. Why not? Well, because God will make my life miserable if I do that. And people think that. You know, if you're a single girl and you were to say to God, Lord, I put my future in your hands and I pray that you'll send me the man that I'm supposed to marry. Oh, I can't do that. Why not? What if he sends me somebody really ugly? Then then, uh, I can't do that. Oh, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. Oh, I can't say that. Why? Well, because I always say that he's going to send me to the mission field, like someplace in Syria or someplace and I don't want to go. I just know it. See, that's a problem with this third servant. He had a false concept of his master. Instead of seeing Him as his, these first two servants saw Him, oh what a blessing that He's given me these resources, let's invest them, let's really please Him, Let, let's show Him how much we love Him. But He's afraid of God. Not a godly reverence either, but afraid of what God is going to do to us, afraid that He's going to ruin His life. Listen, it's time for us to realize that that is not the God of the Bible. And the greatest joy in life is serving the Lord. It's not drudgery. It's joy. It's a life as it's meant to be lived. Let me say this. If God's called you to be a missionary in Syria, you're going to want to do nothing else but be a missionary in Syria. God will place that burden on your heart. He will equip you and He will give you a love for that. But see, there's simply those who fear God because they think He's going to be some this big meaning and only make your life miserable. That's a wrong view of God. Now certainly there is a place for fearing the Lord because the Bible says the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I think one of the best definitions I, I've read of fearing the Lord is a wholesome dread of displeasing Him. It's not a fear of righteous retribution, like what's God going to do to me if I slip up here. It's not that. It's more of a love and a devotional. I don't want to do anything that's going to displease you. But the third, third guy here, he was a phony. It's a tragic waste of life and of gifts. And again, it's coming back to the simple truth and that is, it's a sin to not take responsibility for what God has given to you and to use it for His glory. See, there's two types of sin in the Bible. Sins of commission and sins of omission. A sin of commission is to break God's commandments. A sin of commission is to do what God tells you not to do. But a sin of omission is a failure to obey God. That's not obeying God with what He tells you to do. James 4.17 tells us, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So what this means, if the Lord is leading you in a a certain direction and you don't do it, that's just as much a sin as someone doing something the, the Lord says not to do. So maybe God is speaking to your heart and saying, Hey, I want you to start a home Bible study in your neighborhood. I want you to, to meet with your neighbor, just you and him, pray together, or just see, see how you can bless them. There's a couple of other believers over there. You guys ought to get together at lunchtime and, and read the Word and pray and encourage one another. But you say, no, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. I, I'm not a great preacher or teacher. But God says, yeah, but I've taught you some things and I want you to share them with with others. Get out there. And you end up being like that vulture in the old Bugs Bunny cartoon. You know, nope, 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 not going to do it, not going to do it, not, not, not going to do it. And, and maybe the Lord has laid on your heart to come and maybe to be a part of the men's study or the women study, kind of laying on your heart. Hey, you got something to offer these men, something to offer these women that might benefit, and you need to come and be a part of that. No, I don't think so. It's late, it's night, I'm too busy. Hey, you, you can really you got a gift with these kids. You ought to come and teach a class on Wednesday night for the kids, or maybe get involved in the sound ministry, or get involved in the usher or the greeter ministry. Maybe it's laid on your heart you need to invest more monetarily in the kingdom of God. But you say, nah. But to see to to, to fail to do to be the man or the woman that God has called you to be is sin. Now let me say again, on the flip side of serving the Lord, it is fun. It's, Absolutely exciting, it's fulfilling, it's joyful. It is so great when the Lord leads you to do something. You take that step of faith, the Lord opens the door and then bless you. And you go, Wow, this is amazing. This this all oh, this is so cool. Damn, but, but Tom, what if I do that and I fell? So what? So you fell. You learn a lesson. That that was the last guy's concern. It was failure. C.S. Lewis in the screw tape letters vividly describes Satan's strategy. He says, he says this, He gets Christians to become preoccupied with their failures. From then on, the battle is won. See, I have more respect for the person who will take a step of faith and, and maybe something even half crazy for the kingdom of God and fails than someone who, who does nothing. And even though they may fail, big deal. At least he's doing something better than being just a bump on the log. It's better than kicking back and being asleep while the world is perishing. So we need to be willing to take those steps of faith and be willing to get out there and do what God has called us to do because we were created to bring Him glory. And again, let me say, we're running out of time. This last servant had gained nothing because he had risked nothing. He had one great opportunity to risk himself on behalf of his master, but he deliberately ignored it. It was his opportunity to give himself to God, the opportunity to be redeemed and to refuse. Of course, the real problem is that the man had no intention of really being that servant that he was pretending to be. Listen, no matter what his opinion of his master was, whether true or distorted, he was still a servant. And he was still his servant. And so he should have done in accordance to what his master would expect. But he refused to do so. Wanted to live his own life and really he wasn't concerned about being a servant to his master. He'd rather serve himself. Therefore, he's this phony, he's this hypocrite, pretending to be what he was not. He may have looked like a servant on the outside, but on the inside he was a phony. And in his selfish blindness, he refused the opportunity to truly be that servant that God calls us to be. Had he done so, he would have reaped rewards and blessings, but instead he reaps what he sows. And that brings us to our third and final point our rewards. Look at verses 26 to 29. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has Will be taken away. Listen, one day as Christians, we will all stand before God, and we will give an account to what we have done with our talents, with our gifts, with our resources, etc., that He has given to us. In fact, First Corinthians three verses uh, eleven through fifteen describes this event uh, in this way. This is from the New Living Translation: For no one can lay any foundation other than one already have already have Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames." This is really describing the judgment seat of Christ. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we all must stand before Christ to be judged. We will receive each whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Now don't get this judgment confused with the great white throne judgment spoken of in Revelation chapter 20. That's the final judgment. The final unbeliever will stand there and if their name is not found written in the book of life, you're cast into the lake of fire. That's not the bema seat of Christ. The bema seat of Christ is where rewards are giving. It's a reward ceremony. So when you die and you go to heaven, you are there because of what Christ did for you. No doubt about that. But then you'll stand before Him and the fire of God's judgment will go through your life and determine what you did with the life He's given you. What your life was really all about. And if you've wasted your life, if you've wasted your time, if you've wasted your resources, you're saved. But man, you smell like smoke. <laughs> you're saved by fire. Uh, because you're not saved by what you've done. You're saved because of what He has done for you. But in that day, you'll be saved still, uh, you know, again, because... But you have nothing to show for your works. Nothing to show for it. Now, if you're satisfied with that, if all you care about is getting into heaven, then I pity you. Because God has so much more in store for us when we come to rewards that, that on this side of heaven, we can't even wrap our, our, our minds around. And I tell you this, I'm going to hate coming before the Lord at the beam seat empty handed I would hate that. Now, with with that said, let me say this. The glory of heaven is not in the rewards that we're going to receive. It's not in the fact that we're going to get to sing with the angels or be able to talk to the apostles or or even be able to communicate with our loved ones that have gone on to be for us. Though All that is going to be absolutely wonderful. The greatest joy in heaven is Jesus. That we're going to be with Him forever and ever and ever, never to be separated again. And because of knowing that, I want to please Him now on this earth so that in that day I will hear Him say, Well done, now good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. Not because I'm trying to earn His approval. I have God's approval. And it's not because of what I have done, but again, it's because of what He has done in me. I mean, don't you want to hear the same thing? Uh, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. And let's, let's get on with it. Time is running out. Let's take what He's given us and let's use it. But you say, well, well, I don't have much. Really? Listen, if God has given you a gift, it is a gift from God. And to to reject that and say, oh, that's nothing, is, is to reject a gift from God. God has instilled something in your life. It's valuable. If He's given it to you, it's worth something. Don't insult Him and say, it's nothing. It's something. He gave it to you. Don't say, your life is worthless. It's worth something. He paid for it. First Corinthians 6.20 For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Finally, I want to close with this. Look at verse 30. To the unprofitable servant, he says, This cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Clearly, the Lord Jesus is talking about hell. Understand, God didn't make hell for people. Now, people will go there A lot of people will go there. I'll be even bold enough to say most people will go there. Jesus talked about the narrow gate in which very few will find it, but broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many will go down that path. But God never meant for hell to be for people. He made it to be inhabited by the devil and and the demons as a place of torment for those spiritual beings. However, God has given you and I a choice, the the power of a free choice, and if, if a person refuses to follow Christ, Refuses God's plan for his life, refuses the forgiveness of their sin, but rather decides to follow the devil. God will let them follow the devil even to the devil's final destination, which is hell, where there'd be weeping and gnashing of teeth, outer darkness. And that's the choice you make. I recently heard stories about, you know, read some stories about some near-death experiences and how people, you know the stories, they see the bright light and they feel the warmth and they, this is peace and, and, and these are the stories that make the headlines. What about the other side? One man by the name of Maurice Rawlings, a, a cardiologist, had attended many people who were dying in the emergency room and he wrote a book back in the early 90s called Beyond Death's Door. And he says he experienced deaths of hundreds of patients, he says, whose heart stopped suddenly, and that has changed his idea about eternity. In his book, he writes, I'm thoroughly convinced that there is life after death, and there, there are at least as many people going into hell as going to heaven. And he says, one time, he was an unbeliever, but now with this, he's convinced. He writes that the turning point came when a patient experienced cardiac arrest and dropped dead right in front of him at his office. He said that alone didn't change his thinking, but the fact that this 48-year-old was screaming, I'm in hell, keep me out of hell. And each time he responded to recitation efforts, he, he would say that. He writes, About 50% of the revived persons told of having gone to a place of great darkness filled with their grotesque, moaning, and writhing bodies crying out to be rescued from this place with overwhelming feelings of eerie, nightmarish terror. And then he writes, I'm convinced there is a hell and we must conduct ourselves in such a way as to avoid being sent there at all costs. And I would say we must use the gift that God has given to us to reach people so they can avoid being sent there at all costs. It's a call to get busy. It's a call to get active. But let me say this, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, if you don't know that you're saved, and if you're going to be like the wicked and lazy servant who says, oh, I hear what you're saying, but I don't want to do anything to do with you, just, just bury it in the back of your the mind, then listen, you, know what, you made a choice. Jesus said you're either for me or, or against me. If you're not giving your life to Jesus Christ, then when time is up, you've got nothing to say. And Jesus will say, depart from me. In the outer darkness where his weeping and gnashing of teeth, I never knew you. Listen, make sure this morning you are not that person. Make a covenant with the Lord right now, right here. Ask Him to be your Lord and your Savior. Turn from your sin. Give your life completely to Him and He'll give you the gift of salvation. If that's your desire, as soon as service is over, come up and talk to one of the elders. We'll be up front. We'd we'll love to pray with you. Give you a Bible. Let you know what it means to follow Jesus Christ. But to the rest of us, again, Time is short. Jesus is coming soon. Let's get busy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the gifts that you've given each one of us. And Father, I pray right now, if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again, Lord, maybe they've been thinking they, they're just going to church is fine for them, Lord, but they really have not had a change of heart. There's been no repentance. There's been no uh, change. Lord, especially would you touch their heart today and show them their need to get right with you. And Father, maybe there's some here that have have drifted away and they haven't been walking as close with you as they should and they know where they need to be. Lord, help us to help those to, to get right with you as well this morning. And finally, Lord, I pray for us as believers, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come upon us to be that witness, to have the boldness and the power to use the gifts that you've given to us, Lord, to bring you glory and honor, and to see men and women's lives change, boys and girls, come into the saving knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, use us, each one of us, individually, Lord, as a church, corporately, in the time that we have left, to see people come to faith and have their sin forgiven. And again, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that is yet to come into knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ, to be born again, to have their sin forgiven. Lord, they would not leave her without making that commitment to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.